she has a um a post i don't know if it was her or whoever that was like there does not need to be a study to confirm how you're feeling and i was like thank i know the what you're talking load. about like yes we need anecdotal evidence is real right. well and it's people it's one tier of the like evidence um that levels that we have and even though it's not the strongest randomized control trial sometimes it's all you have You're listening to Rebel Heart Radio, hosted by a nutritional therapist, Cassie Knavel, and professional esthetician and makeup artist, Genevieve Blair. A lifestyle podcast about clean living, making money, and badass people that inspire us endlessly. We created this podcast to walk through the tough moments of life with you, inspire you to live more intentionally, and frankly, because we like to talk. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure to catch our weekly episode and subscribe to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have iTunes, we would be forever grateful for your review on our podcast. Let's get to our latest episode. The materials and content within this podcast are for general information and educational purposes only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to Rebel Heart Radio. This is episode 47. This is a part two, so if we jump right in the middle, it sounds funny, then catch our episode 46. But this is episode 47, Becoming Your Own Health Advocate, part two. I think one really important thing to note and that I've learned over the years in my experience with blood chemistry ranges is exactly what Genevieve was alluding to, that we've got this huge, massive sick population that's providing the average for us. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge difference between average blood values and functional blood values, yeah. right? Ooh. And it, I can't oh, even that tell down. you, <laughs> if I had my vitamin D tested right now, I probably would have a regular practitioner tell me that my vitamin D is normal. But it's not. It's in the tank. And it shows in my symptoms for sure. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, it's not where it's normally at for me. And it's also not in the normal functional range of a healthy human being of a thrive. Like, I think that's the thing. Like, we don't put ourselves in a position where we say, like, I don't want to be normal. Like, I want to be thriving. Like, I want to feel great. The normal of our society is really not normal. Right. It's just common and I think that discussion has to like persist throughout this whole thing um I would love so I think one of the things that we've kind of touched on a few times is just knowing the scope of your Mm. practitioner and Laurel I would love to hear from you about how you might figure that out or have it have an understanding of that yeah um it has been I mean to be fair when we were talking about you know being diligent when you go in and knowing your terminology and really like being factual. It's taken me a long time to get there, even though I'm a practitioner, like the number of doctor's offices I have cried in still because you're just so exhausted and done sick of people not listening to you and taking you seriously. So I feel for you, I'm not saying like, I can't believe, you know, no one would go in factually. And I had to give myself like a pep talk to, to be there. So know that that's a normal human response. You're just looking for somebody to believe you and help you. Oh, it's highly emotional when it's yourself and or your children. Yeah. And the, the frustration it's, it's hard not and to come in helplessness, yeah. you lose hope, like yes. all of that. 
Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I get it. I totally get it. And it's, it's affecting other parts of your life. And therefore there's another, you know, whether it's income, I've had to change what I think my professional life is going to look like because of this. That's really a hard pill to, to swallow. And I'm going to start crying a hard pill to swallow to be like the dreams I had for myself are being held back because my body can't keep up. Hmm. Um, and so know that like, I'm with you all. We're all <laughs> trying to fight the exact same thing. Um, but find share a little bit, we share a little bit more of your story before we yeah. jump into that. So, um, I'm still very much in it. Like we're, we're not, yeah. we're not on the other, like, we figured out what's going on and it's being treated and it's still like there's mystery things happening all the time. But I think like this is the exact place where people need to hear that. Right. So yes. about five years ago, um, I started having just like terrible abdominal pain. I'd never had any GI issues before. Um, it was not linked necessarily to like what I ate time of eating. I hadn't changed that. Um, I was diagnosed with acute pancreatitis twice in like one year with regular, yeah, as a non like alcoholic 25 year old, (laughs) that's weird, um, with a normal pancreatic enzymes. And so that's when it started. I just started getting labels of things because people weren't, didn't know. I was also suffering from severe exhaustion, like debilitating exhaustion. I moved from that place. And what I think now happened was my environment at that time was a trigger for some autoimmune responses that I now have put together. So I was living in like a really shitty apartment in San Diego (laughs) and probably like water quality, lead paint. I mean, there were, there's a lot of environmental things that I think now looking back and knowing how my body responds to things that that's how it was starting. Um, moved to San Antonio and things progressed like worst GI symptoms. I started having neurologic symptoms. Um, I started having cardiac symptoms. So all these different systems now were being overtaken at the same time. And that's when you start feeling crazy. That's when you start feeling like you're losing your ever flipping mind. Yeah. Because you (laughs) go to one doctor and they're like, oh, so your leg tremor and your loss of eyesight don't have anything to do with like your GI issues or like your gallbladder, your pancreas, your pancreatic issues why your liver is swollen because nothing in our body is connected and then i go to my can i just like i'm just what yeah how could could that (laughs) ever they're gonna be like this like yeah how could that ever come out of your mouth everything that you digest turns into fuel and building blocks for your other for your whole body right or like why Why did all of this start like no one was like what was going on in your life what has happened like environmental changes and i I started, it was a very like waxing, waning symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I would go like months feeling fine. And I like trained for half marathons and busted ass and work and, you know, like did all the things. I must be crazy because I see I'm fine. And then then I would like hit me for months and it was flares. And that's Mm -hmm. all that I could, all that I could explain. And then my second year in San Antonio, I had two, which now I know what they were. But at the time, I just called them attacks because I was like, I don't know what the hell just happened to my body. They were anaphylactic responses. I was having an anaphylactic response and didn't know it. Holy crap. And it was my um, my blood pressure would tank. I would feel like I was going to pass out. I would become short of breath. My heart would race. And I would immediately like vomit or have diarrhea, like an immediate GI response. Now looking at symptoms, I know that that was my body like 
shutting down, like revolting um, through an anaphylactic You're response. Like, I'll stop. Get out now. Yeah. Um, and I never put that together. I went to the ER multiple times. And by the time I got there, they were like, everything's good. Like your oxygen level is fine. You're, You're so many CTs, so many ultrasounds got tested for mm. MS. My cardiac workup, I, I, um, they were like, you have the healthiest heart. Um, all this stuff until I connected with, um, the person who wrote mass cell United, that book, she and I were classmates in PT school, or she was a couple years ahead of me in PT school. And she started writing about her journey and her experiences and all the things she had been tested. Like I got tested for Lyme. I got tested all these things, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, lupus, all the things. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and she started going through her journey and I was like, this is me. This is me. And I haven't what are the chances? known, right? I haven't known what's going on. And she had different things, triggers in her life through stress, through other kind of infections that were treated like you would normally treat the infection, but they triggered her body's response to go into overdrive. Um, and mm. when I really, and I have put this together now, when I really had the worst symptoms I've ever had in San Antonio. I mean, I would go to work for four hours, come home, sleep for four hours, and then have to work through the night because I just slept for four hours. Um, and I couldn't like reach something or point at something without having an intention tremor. I mean, it was terrible. Mm. Um, was when my now husband was deployed and so much stress, like so many unknowns. I was getting ready to move. And so not only was my environment, there was a very like moldy, wet, I have a terrible reaction to mold, like will immediately mm -hmm. vomit. Mm -hmm. um, but then that added life stress on top of it, I wasn't linking the two. And so yeah. when we think about... Well, because we're not taught right. from even a young age to even talk about... Right. It's, it's always just, no, we're just going to, you know, it's all in your right. head. And it's like, well, hold on a second. It's not always just your head. And so I do like, think that that thinking. time in San Antonio was like productive, if you will, because I ruled out so much that the Western medicine community needs to rule out. And I wanted to rule out, like, do I have cancer? Do I have MS? God, I hope not. Um, yeah. And then we moved again and I felt pretty good in Nashville, but then I started having attacks at work and you can't leave a patient's room oh, when you're doing a pelvic intervention because you're going to pass out. Um, and so I had to go part time. And that's when I decided to get my PhD to, to teach and do research because I was like, I can't treat clients with this, what's happening. Um, and I started getting my mast cell diagnostic testing done there, but couldn't find a practitioner that was, that knew exactly what to do. And I knew that that was the case. Um, and I was looking at other methods and my practitioner was very upfront and she was like, this is not my specialty. I don't really know who to send you to. So I started going down that rabbit hole. The challenge remains that we moved again. I mean, we continue to move and my medical records aren't carrying over, you know, I'm, I'm starting over. And so I basically introduced myself to my current practitioner here as I've had this history of medical issues. I 100% think I have a mast cell activation disorder. I need to get diagnosed like, this is my goal. Um, and so we started going down that road and just the limits of um, what our current health insurance wants to provide is limiting. So I'm looking at, and this is oh, when yeah. it comes down to, 
I was very encouraged by the first allergist appointment that I had. And then the second time that I saw that allergist who was supposed to run all these tests, he was very dismissive. Um, didn't have any physical exam, didn't have like all these checkbox things that I, a, a practitioner should do a physical exam, a practitioner every single, every time. single time, a practitioner, nothing makes me more mad when people won't touch my son or right. ask him or talk to him. About Correct. If a practitioner doesn't a, yeah. a, do a physical exam, go somewhere else. Um, yep. and that's been my experience too. Yes. Um, I provided pictures of new swelling that I have had, which goes along with a different type of this disease that has never happened until this winter. So things continue to like pop up as like new fun symptoms of this. And I showed him pictures and he literally said, that's not as bad as it should be for this diagnosis. <sighs> and my husband was actually in the room with me. And this is the first time. Good. So my husband and I were long distance for three years before we got married, moved in together. And I was the sickest when we were not living together. So he really has not been able to witness my journey. And, um, this was the first time that he was in a doctor's appointment with me. And he was, so, he, lost. he was such an advocate. And so also like confused, Good. like, is this how this has been going for you? Like what the hell is going on? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yes, this is what happens. Yes. Welcome. Um, well, and for a little perspective here, her husband is like a specimen of health for the most part. We, he has I mean, his own gut a, stuff he needs to work he, on. That's a, that's a thing. <laughs> but he also will like turn that stuff off. So right. he has not been on any sort of journey no. from this perspective too. So for him to think that someone would have to go through, I could just see Eli being like, you have to go through hoops like this to get treatment right. and care and testing. Well, how and is he that truly okay? witnessed like how ill I get when I am ill this winter and it was mind blowing to him and very like scary. It's very scary to see someone you love mm -hmm. not function how you're used to them functioning. Um, and it feels so out of nowhere most of the time and it's unwarranted totally. and it's not like an injury. It's it, when it's a, it the just, invisibleness of some autoimmune yes. conditions where people look healthy and they are suffering. Like it's, yeah. um, but seeing it in children oh, is, so is, is, it's hard because they can't tell you. Right. They can't communicate. They, can't. they just act. Yeah. They act weird. And you're like, like my son, the last let's see, Thursday, last Saturday started having symptoms and he was literally put himself to bed at like 6 p.m. Was like running to the toilet. Like, I mean, and really tired and emotional and and just, I mean, flatlined from playing outside in the cold too long. I really think that was the trigger mm -hmm. and I didn't have the heart to make him come inside. It was so, it was so sunny, but it was cold right. and he was so excited to be outside. And it's like, it, you can't predict everything, no. every situation you're going to be in. You can't. And, and so it's super important to have people around you that can, I mean, like your husband, now he's been able to see these things that can advocate for you or can say, you know what? I can tell this is a thing where we just need to like step it back, chill, right. you know, and I, I, I'm so grateful that you have a partner that's like seen kind of the, the small stuff kind of grow mm -hmm. and see it change. And now he's, and from afar, he's heard you talk about it, but now he's seeing yeah. it. Um, it, it just creates this whole package deal of, of being able to, and I love that he's going to appointments with you. That's so yeah, good. there's this added layer of 
and we don't need to get too much into it, but there's this added layer of culture of military, right? And so Mm -hmm. I had him go with me because I also feel as if that's a different language to talk, right? Like talking about talking the talk, that's a different, um, and I knew that I was going to have an active duty uh, physician with me. And so I wanted him there as a, like, I can talk the talk medically, you can talk the talk this way. Like we kind of both need to tag team this situation. Um, And so it, it was very helpful and very comforting. And then going back to what you were saying, Cassie, about like knowing your physician's limitations or practitioner's limitations. um, It's then making this now I know what I'm getting, right? Like I know what options have been given to me under what's paid. And now I'm like, what next? What are my priorities financially to take care of this? And what are my options here in Germany? And really seeking out like, the community of people here and who they have gone to for similar things and who's in the area. And it takes more effort, but like you have to, uh, you have to accept that there are going to be limitations to what financial things are provided for you and know that treating something earlier and preventative, even if it's expensive upfront is going to pay off dividends for like not only your health, but also financially, like, yeah. And it's a hard, there's a, also, there's a huge opportunity cost to reduced like productivity, work hours, all, all of that, that kind of stuff, all of that missed yep. work days. Um, and so I get it from the practitioner side where it's expensive to, to hit, take care of yourself sometimes, but you have to, you have to make that priority. And I found having a paper trail like testing maybe necessarily when you don't feel that bad yes and then being able to like have a paper trail behind you can be so much like back to the whole like you document everything keep everything we never would have gone down that rabbit hole with ee with eoe with my son had we not kept that two and a half year old blood test that didn't really yield much of anything we didn't already know right right you know and so doing tests um, sometimes paying out of pocket is kind of necessary to do some of those yeah. things because insurance is just like, well, you don't need that. But sometimes right. having documentation can be everything when you're trying to talk the talk and you're trying to like yep. show evidence based things and being like, here's where we were here and here's where we are now. And like, what does that mean? Right. And so. also not being afraid to call an office beforehand and see what they offer. Like, you don't need to wait for your appointment to know what test they offer, what things out of pocket they provide, what payment plans they may provide. I always tell people like call when I know that I um, have limitations in telehealth and I'm trying to hook up uh, someone with another practitioner somewhere. I'm like, call, ask if this person does this, this, and this before you make an appointment, ask, you know, if you're, if you're out of visits for your insurance, ask what their payment plan is, ask what their cash-based services are. Like these are questions that front desk should be able to answer or get the answers for you and don't waste a doctor's visit on just those questions. Yes. 100%. Yes. Yes. That's really good advice. I, I think, again, we think of the medical world as this kind of anomaly where we're just like a cog in the machine right. and we have to participate in it and we just have to do whatever it is that we're supposed to do but no one like no you're in control like you you decide and and I think 
Can we talk a little bit about being really assertive when you're in your appointments too? I think, um, obviously having like the research and being informed and knowing yourself and having the documentation is everything. But I think being an assertive person Mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why I haven't experienced this a ton Mm -hmm. myself because I'm naturally assertive. Um, and we'll speak out for myself and Mm -hmm. say what I need and all of that. But I I also haven't been through deep, um, you know, medical issues that have required that whole process that you guys have been through, you know, with your kid and Laurel with yourself. And I think one of the biggest things we think again is this, I think it's really easy to get that like white coat syndrome and feel mousy around a physician, regardless of what letters they have next to their name, like they're the end all be all. Um, and they don't think they're the end all be all if they're doing their job correctly. And you shouldn't feel that way either. You have to come at that again with the knowledge of knowing like, you know, you need to know and trust yourself well enough to know that you know yourself well, you need to do what's best for you. And being assertive in that process is extremely important because if you're not, you'll probably get walked on, not by the doctor, but the system. Right. Yeah. That's important to note because there's there's been many times, I'm for, very fortunate that my son's GI office um, is pretty amazing because once a year we have to go through a month-long battle with our insurance company to cover my son's medication mm-hmm. because they don't want to cover it. And I didn't know that that was going to happen. And like, right. I, I didn't know, like, I, I'm like, what do I need to do? And I'm very, very lucky that I, I regularly checked in but was like, where are we at? What's happening? And his office was very responsive. And they did. They they fought. Um, every other day, they were talking to the insurance company, going back and forth. The doctor had to provide official statements. And he has to do that once a year for my son to be able to get the medication that he Which needs. is not like outlandish. Like, he probably has to do no, that how with it is. every other patient. <laughs> and so don't feel like you are being system. high maintenance. That is the front mm-hmm. desk's job. That is what they're... I was shocked at how efficient they right. were. Like, there are systems <laughs> in place for this. Um, and so mm-hmm. don't feel like asking for that or a letter from your physician, a letter from lab, a letter from this, like that's what needs to be done. And those systems are put in place by insurance companies so that you don't jump through the hoops and so that you don't pay. Um, yep. hundred percent. Cause if somebody's not that serious about it, then they'll just, just it'll just keep fade going. away. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's part of the assertive, like for me, it's also being assertive, but being respectful at the same mm-hmm. time, oh, because course. a lot of times in my mind, because I am a pretty like obliger type person, I tend to be um, like, I want to be respectful of um, someone's degree and their background and things like that. So for a really long time, I I just got kind of got walked on because I wasn't being assertive because I was like, well, I want to be respectful. There's a massive difference between assertive and respect. You can you know? do both. You absolutely can do both and you should. And don't be afraid Mm -hmm. to, if you're walking into that doctor's appointment, trying with a goal, like what am I trying to get out of this appointment? That's really important. Mm -hmm. Not just going with like open deck. Here's all the things I'm experiencing. I don't know. Yeah. It's more like I can't be experiencing this anymore. I need a diagnostic test. I need a referral to this person. Like go in with a goal and then also don't be afraid that I often try to err on the side of like, I know these symptoms seem random. I also know that they are so connected and I'm trying to figure out how. I need your help. Like I need a physician to do this for me. And you're, you're presenting yeah. it as like, listen, 
I need you to understand that I am a rational human being right. who has gone through right. all of the thought processes that you think you're going to be going through right now. Right. But here's actually what I need. Right. I don't just go down the laundry list to make like a dramatic impression. Like, look at everything I'm suffering from. I used to do that just to be like, someone pay the fucking attention sure. to me. You yeah. know, like mm-hmm. this is, just right. go, no, oh, yeah. it's, that's not going to work. Shock value does not work. What works is like, yeah, they shut down, yeah, they shut down and they're like, this person. They glaze over yeah. and they go, oh, okay. Hey. Right. Honestly, when someone came into my office for nutrition counseling and did that shock value thing, I literally would be like, okay, um, are you exercising? Are you walking? Are you um, maybe right. breathing? Are you meditating? Like, right. It's it takes you down to this place where you're like, okay, are you are you at least covering right. are you- the basics? Right. Before we get into like whatever complicated web we're weaving over here. Right. Um, I think you're right. Like shock value doesn't work. It makes me go bounce back to the complete opposite and be like, let's break it down. Right. Are we covering? And that's from a foundational health perspective too. Like that's a big piece of it. How do we get at the root cause of something? Ma'am, is your computer plugged in? (laughs) (laughs) But it's also like, um, I don't know. I wish I knew the statistics off the top of my head, but I don't. But it's the amount of women that go dismissed for um, like cancer diagnosis and things like that that are based off of like oh. craziness, dramatic, hysteria. Like women are it, oh, heart attacks. Women are diagnosed far later than men because of lack of like believing symptoms. Gaslighting. Gaslighting. hundred percent. And so that's why I try to go in and be like, I know this seems out of the blue. Like I try to meet the doctor where they're at. (laughs) I'm like, I know that this list is overwhelming. I am so overwhelmed. I also know that these things happen at the same time. And And they're real. And they're real. (laughs) And that's why I took pictures. And that's why I have these, you know, whatever. Um, But even though this physician that I last saw was great and proactive at being like, we need to figure this out. What hasn't been done. Even he was like, the tests that have been done are not conclusive tests that they should have ran. And I'm like, thank the Lord. Um, you get it. <laughs> then the follow-up was like, he couldn't, couldn't just let it go. The follow-up was, how's the transition been here to us moving uh, here? And I was like, I wasn't even there yet mentally. I was like, good. Thanks for asking. Like, I wasn't even like yeah, right. catching on. I was like. And later you're like, so the no way it gets really good. Um, oh. He goes, I was like, good. You know, it's been like a professional challenge, um, but we're doing good. We're traveling a lot and trying to take this time um, to enjoy each other. And he's like, um, he, he goes, so what have you been doing professionally? I went into physical therapy and he's like, you should um, volunteer with the physical therapist here just to keep your brain active. Oh, huh. and I, Oh, I remember this. You talked yeah, about this in your Instagram yeah, stories. Because it was Cassie. I told you yes. about this. And I said, <laughs> I said, so I'm in a like, PhD what? program. I'm currently in grant writing season and I have my own business. And he goes, what's your business? I said, I started my own physical therapy practice. And he goes, okay. And I go, so I'm not bored. I'm sick. To, yes. Thank you for the concern and total and lack he was of understanding. Like, he goes, oh, good. I'm happy for you. He goes, so you're not depressed. And I was like, no. And oh then what God. I thought of later that I wish I would have said was I, oh, I right? Hate that. I was like, I, I understand and appreciate doctors layering on that 
psychologic piece, right? I do because that it needs depression, to be. anxiety, loneliness can all trigger these autoimmune. I get it. Yep. Um, all of those However. things would not be causing a unilateral local swelling of lymph nodes. And I was like, okay, so maybe I was like, yeah, I'm fucking depressed. Um, it would have been like, oh, how can we help you with that also? Not, oh, you're, then you're just depressed. Therefore, you don't have on. physical symptoms, right? It oh does not gosh. have to be one or the other. It's probably both. No. And that's how we need They're to start definitely treating is this integrated, like, yeah, this all makes sense together rather than dismissing one for the other. Well, you know, what's fun is when you're the mother of the child who can't advocate for themselves and they're like, oh, they're there. You first time mom. Like, I know this is a big transition for you. And I'm like, you're like he's two months old and he's stiff as a board oh. and screaming. This is That's not, not OK. No. I'm like, my mom came to visit and she didn't sleep the first time she saw it. Aww. She's like, I, I the next morning she said, mom, I, I said, mom, like, you don't look so good because she was just like. Uh, she goes, Jen, that's not normal. And I didn't like everybody right. is talks to you like, oh, colic. And and when you can't differentiate between like not sleeping from a newborn and actual legit like I video, I finally had to videotape mm -hmm. it with my Blackberry. This is how old it was. <laughs> and I, I had to be like, you need to see this. Right. You need to see what this is like. And it was absolutely infuriating to not have that knowledge background, to not understand these things, but just know that this is not right, right. because I'm getting dismissed all over the place. And the only reason why my, my son ended up getting surgery at three months old for pyloric stenosis. And the typical age is four weeks to get that because it's failure to thrive. He didn't fit the textbook case. He didn't, he wasn't you know, didn't fit in that perfect little description. And so nobody thought he had it until I said, can we please just, can we please just get an ultrasound? We need to, I, I need to see what's going on on the insides because he's in so much pain. That's the other thing. There's no pain associated with pyloric stenosis. And I was like, bullshit. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I, I was like, hey, then great. Then we need to like go down this cascade of figuring out what's going on. But I had to show up with books and highlighted sections and like, and it's hard when you can't, when you can't, when you're being told they're there, being dismissed in a, in a, oh, you're, you're young, you're a first time mom, like you're, nobody actually said the words crazy, mm -hmm. but I literally saw nine different pediatricians in that mm -hmm. office, like, because it was the only insurance that, only office that my insurance would cover that was 20 when it's close to my house. And so I was like, hey, we're going to see every practitioner in here. Like, <laughs> yeah, because nobody would listen to me. And it was just and it wasn't because I was frantic to, like, find somebody to listen to me. It was. He's in pain. He's not taking in food. Right. Well, <laughs> um, he's getting eczema and he's months old. Like there was just so many evidence things that it was just, well, let's put some aquaphor on it and well, let's, you know, give him a PPI and like, let's do all these things. And then we have to adjust his medication. And I was like, this is not working. This nothing's working. And it's not, I don't expect a miraculous recovery. I just need to see some change somewhere. Right. And then to being admitted into the hospital within 30 minutes of a ultrasound and then surgery 12 hours later, it just turned into this like, 
And then every practitioner that came in the room while we were admitted into the hospital was um, like, oh, so we're experiencing, you know, he's he's not taking in any food and his weight's gone down. I'm like, no, his weight has just plateaued and he takes in some food, but he projectile vomits sometimes. And, you know, it was just like, well, he doesn't fit that perfectly. Like I was just I mean, it's a it's a downright miracle that we have gotten anywhere because of all the times that I've been dismissed and been told but that it's you, it's you turning around work. and saying n- no mm-hmm. well this nagging feeling in my back of my mind and i think that's you where know. some of my drive comes from that's just this not right like this is something trust your gut and yes yeah. and i i've been fortunate that i've had a couple of practitioners that were like mama intuition is a real thing when you know something's not right and i think people need to trust their own feelings as part of that being assertive Absolutely. is trust your feelings Trust what you experience you're going through, what evidence that you're finding, because feelings, symptoms, pain, all those things are real. Those are evidence, whether people want to admit that or not to you. You know those are real. Yeah, Dr. Jolene Brighton, who is have a major growth Oh, she's awesome. love her. Um, and oh, she's my goodness. Portland. Yeah, so, we're hoping we can get her on the podcast sometime I'm soon. I'm like, randomly run into her at Tasty and Alder, is what I'm hoping. Like, <laughs> Let's just sit like, there until she shows girl. up. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> she has a, um, a post, I don't know if it was her or whoever, that was like, there does not need to be a study to confirm how you're feeling. And I was like... Thank I know the what you're load. About. Like, yes, we need anecdotal evidence is real. Right. Well, and it's people. It's one tier of the like evidence um, that levels yes. that we have. And even though it's not the strongest randomized control trial, sometimes it's all you have. And rather than well, dismissing you have, it, you you go with what you have. And you build from there. You don't have trials until you have anecdotal evidence right. to suggest you right. need a trial. Right. Totally. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank yes. you. This is the like, beginning stages. Can we just respect that? Right. And like, be real? Ugh. Like oh EOE has only been a diagnosis for about 12 years. Right. Right. And How old's your son? Yes. And he's nine. Yeah. Um, hi. Right. Yeah. What about, you know, ma- and what about mast cell activation syndrome? Yeah, I mean, I think someone just made it up like last year. No, I don't know. <laughs> no, <Right? it's> like- <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like, yeah. though, right? I think, I think the, I think also. I mean, we talked about gaslighting before, and I think the lack of respect that happens for women or just people who are different. Mm-hmm. I mean, people of color, mm-hmm. non cisgendered people. I mean, it is so awful when you look at the stats. Just like you said about women. Same is true of people of color. Same is true of non-cisgendered people, transgendered people, homosexual, like whatever. Mm-hmm. All of those things, they don't get the care that they need because of those bullshit biases and prejudices yep. that exist in the system too. But like, I don't know about you, but as a woman, I am sick and tired of having to fucking advocate for myself in everything right. that I do and be taken seriously. Or defend your choices. When I'm it's like... like- I couldn't be more serious. Do you know me? (laughs) Do you even? Okay. Can you even? I it's it's so frustrating to be viewed as like the flighty, more delicate, whatever. And I'm like, there's nothing delicate about this. (laughs) When I obviously we've never had much of a conversation. When I say Kathy, I say delicate flower. 
Oh my uh, gosh. But the, the real real is that I am totally the exception to that rule in the sense that I, g- I generally don't carry myself that way anyway. And I'm usually not interpreted that way. Um, but just as, as a group of, of just women in general, I feel like in every area of life, we have to advocate for not only just equality, but just like to be heard. I'm, it's ridiculous. And the medical community is, I mean, our medical system really is, is a huge part of that, Mm -hmm. um, kind of persisting, I think. But, um, I, I had a friend, um, a lesbian friend who was told by a female OB-GYN that she did not need as often of pap smears because she wasn't sexually active in the way of like a heterosexual person is sexually active. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That makes absolutely and then one no of my sense. Other, you should be getting your license. And then one of like, my other friends um, had a similar experience that she told me basically like the higher rates of cervical cancer, uterine cancer in the um, homosexual female population because of care like that. That's like misunderstanding of people's health risks because you think that you know their life and you don't. Oh my word. And so not only is there this lack of um, maybe accessibility for some people or education Mm -hmm. for some people, but it's a miseducation of the medical community or an assumption on the medical community's part. Yes. And until we draw awareness to discrepancies in care or where the lack of care is falling, like defining the problem first, right? Like that's been my, my whole um, research PhD dissertation is proving to people <laughs> to get funds that there is a discrepancy in care that needs to be filled because they want to spend research dollars on other things. And then when I send them cold hard facts they're like holy crap this is terrifying and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i know can you That's show why I'm up here. can you show up for some women here people right right Jeez. throw me a bone <laughs> throw me i think it's fantastic that there's people like you out there that are willing to go through the bullshit in the system to prove it to people that this is worth your attention your yeah. money your time the media like i I, I, when I explained to my chiropractor what you had taught me about my body, he, he was just like, that's so fantastic. And he was like, what does she do? And I explained, you know, you're in Germany and you're telecom. And he was like, that's, he's like, I want to do that. <laughs> he's like, I can't do that. But, uh, and he was just like, that's amazing. And I was like, yeah, I know she's doing research. And he goes, shut up. She's doing research. Cause he wanted to go through and he, before he became a chiropractor, wanted to do, um, research through university, yeah. um, but not on a medical level. So he understands the bureaucracy, like political bullcrap that you have to go through. And he was just like, "That's why I know he's already like, I respect the hell out of her for doing it's that because that is a patient hard for bullshit." And knowing that, <laughs> um, it's just playing the long game. Like things are going to change along the way as I'm continuing to do the same project. I got funding in, um. I applied for funding in 2015, got funding in 2016. We will be wrapping up data collection at the end of April. So something's, it takes around four years to complete um, a smallish study. That's what you have to have, right? Right. And the amount of things that have changed in that time is interesting. And um, 
Yeah. And it truly is. There's, there's another quote that's like, you look at a big hill and don't think that time is going to make it smaller. Right. Like it's going to be there no matter what. So if you're going to, as my dad mm, says, swallow the frog hole. Yeah. If you're going (laughs) to endure it, like we might as well. Um, but yeah, I think that there's definitely a place for like short term, let's put out the fire. And then there's the freaking long game of changing the system. yeah, and we need, I respect we need more. We need more yeah. of that, and practitioners who are willing to toe the line between the two. Because a huge piece of this, right, is you can like be cool and be like, yes, it, from a research perspective, this has to be long game. From a p- practitioner perspective, this has to change literally right. Right. Now. I can't wait for the results of a study right to now. treat this person and make their life better. Like. Right. Right. And and like allow them a system that allows them to advocate for themselves and and speak their truth and like actually get some get help with what they trust you and be vulnerable enough to Mm -hmm. because that's the partnership too, right? Like you being Mm. persistent and upfront and bold enough in your truth to speak it, but then also having a person on the other side that allows vulnerability because even myself as a practitioner, when I go in, I start like second guessing my own story and diminishing my symptoms or being like, I know this doesn't make sense, like qualifying statements. And it truly takes a self pep talk to not do those things. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just a natural, I don't know. I don't know why it happens, whether it's the physician relationship, whether it's male, female, whether it's the whole system, um, whether it's the longevity of you trying to get help and no one's believed you. So you start not believing yourself. Like, yeah, the sheer exhaustion and time that happens that lapses. I mean, there's many times where I forget. I mean, even we both forget, like this is an actual thing. And then you just get hit with it early hard. And you're like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) And then you start remembering. I mean, whenever we go in for scopes, I have these moments of reflection when he's going under and he's in his scope and scopes are really short. They're only like 15 minutes, but he goes under. So it takes a long time in and out. So I have a lot of time to just think Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, uh, it's impossible not to reflect. And it's moments like that when you start going, okay, this is really shitty. This sucks. But I'm doing the dang thing. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, I'm walking through this as best as I can with best knowledge that I've got. And you start and hopefully over time you're at this place where you're at, you, you can like have this self-esteem of like, OK, I'm doing the best I can. Mm-hmm. I'm like this it's not as scary as it used to be um I at least have some understanding around what's going on and I feel like I have a support system around me and that is worth everything just that yeah right there oh my goodness I think we could probably talk about this for another two hours (laughs) (laughs) but we can't um (laughs) so I just kind of want to walk through some of the stuff that we talked about and give you guys like a good actionable list because we're all about practicality on this podcast and having some action steps to take so um you know the basics of just really researching what you're going through and getting super duper informed um writing down questions you want answered we didn't talk about that but I think Mm -hmm. that's part of that documentation process um and just as Laurel said like 
you know, having, having goals written down and having that expressed. I think a lot of times we think about like our fitness goals and our weight loss goals and our personal and professional goals and everything. But do we think about like how we want to feel physically? Like, do we have goals around our care and, um, whatever it is that we're kind of seeking in that area and, and making sure that's kind of included in that, um, knowing the scope of your practitioner, being really proficient in your own insurance benefits and knowing when it's worth it to pay out of pocket is super important. That's been a big part of my journey for sure. Um, bringing along supportive family members and friends, uh, to help you along alongside and help advocate for you when you're exhausted and just need someone there. Um, obviously the parent relationship is there, um, being assertive, uh, and honestly, reserving the right to fire your doctor and knowing when to walk away, I think is also extremely important. Um, and just not allowing anyone to disrespect you. Like you walk into a doctor's office uh, thinking, OK, I'm going to respect this person. Right. Obviously. But respect is earned on both ends. You, you need to come into a place. Trust and respect are earned. And so you can, you don't have to stick with that doc if you don't want to, you can fire your doctor if you need to. Um, that is a thing. But lastly, I really just want to say, I think, I think my biggest takeaway in my journey, my health journey and having practitioners is it's really important to assemble a care team because not everybody is going to be able to do for you what you need. Um, but that wants to work with you and really foster the empowerment of your own healing and your own care. And don't be afraid to make changes when you don't feel supported or it's, you know, it's a two way relationship. Like we said, like this partnership with your practitioner that you really need to be, um, you know, thinking of it in that way, because you're, you're part of this. No one can solve all of this for you. Um, and that's a really unrealistic expectation anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think unless, is there any other kind of like quick bullet points you guys want to add that we didn't cover there? I th- Don't expect your office to like talk like to each other. Like, so, oh yeah. Are seeing the same practitioner among office? practitioners? Yeah. I can't even tell you when, oh, whenever like we've had to dreams, see. right? Oh my gosh. It's crazy. I'm like, you guys all take notes. Don't you? Like, I don't understand. Did you not yeah. look up what the situation was before you got in the room? Like, yeah. I, mean, I had a doctor try to give my son sublingual um, food allergy treatment and his GI doctor about how to conniption fit. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think he read his chart like at all. Yeah. So don't expect that. Be your own advocate. Mm. Be assertive. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. And I think, I think this is one of the reasons why the alternative health community really appeals to me because I can't even tell you how many times I've been to a naturopath that was also in an office with a holistic nutritionist, mm-hmm. an acupuncturist, a pediatrician, like whatever it is. And everybody is talking and in communication with one another as needed. Yeah. That's an amazing luxury. Like that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's a huge yeah. luxury. It's, I mean, it should be the norm. Legitimate. It should be a great. Yeah. Um, I think also, yeah, the, but our system just doesn't set it yeah. up. And then the, the research point of like doing your own research, don't get caught down a rabbit hole of WebMD or, you know, either you're looking at articles, um, or you're finding, I found books. So like books authored by experts, expert physicians, mm-hmm. expert, cause it's often a one-stop shop compilation of, you know, patient stories, tests and measures, um, different treatment approaches. And so I think as patient advocacy, um, has become yep. more and more prevalent that texts for patients have become out there 
or expert physicians' websites also can be. Even if you can't go to that physician, they often have great information about who to contact, how to find a provider. Um, So try not... And often if there's a blog article written, it will have like the 10 studies you need to go look at anyway as a reference. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's awesome. I love that. I love that added tip. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, Laurel. Thank you for being with us. Yes. It's like 10 oh p.m. Gosh. her time. She's probably so late. Just so done right now. <laughs> I'm all wired up on caffeine. Who knows what I can get done tonight? I know, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> thank you all for having me. Oh, I love goodness. talking to you guys. Well, we're really grateful for you. If you guys haven't had a chance to check out Laurel's work, you can find her at Fem Unfolding on Instagram. It's fem.unfolding, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then as well on her website and in all the places, um, she's a fantastic advocate for women's health and, uh, amazing pelvic floor physical therapist who does telehealth services. You guys can get connected with her. And if you haven't yet, make sure you go back and listen to episode 20, which was the first time we were graced with her presence on the podcast. Wow. Um, that was a while ago. It is. Yeah. I know, right? We could only well, wait that's... 20, 27 more episodes to talk to you. <laughs> Um, but it was a fantastic episode and really great information also about advocating for yourself on that particular podcast, which is why she's the person who jumped into my mind to bring into this conversation. So thanks for your time, Laurel. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Rebel Heart Radio. You can visit our website to submit a question at www.rebelheartradio.com. Or you can hop on our Instagram. You can ask us anything. We love to get to know you guys. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a review on iTunes. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode.